and welcome to Show and Tell with Biggins. This is the podcast where I invite one of my friends to tell me about three things that have a special meaning to them. I've got all sorts of things in my house and each of them have their own special place in my heart. So in this podcast, I'll ask my guests to show off their most prized possessions and take me through the stories of why they mean so much. Big or small, new or old, their selections are completely up to them. So, without any further delay, it's time to welcome our show and teller, James Martin. James is a British chef who has been seen on our television screen since 1996. He is best known for his presenting role on Saturday Kitchen and now Saturday Morning with James Martin on ITV. James, how lovely to see you today. Now, listen, we've been through a terrible pandemic and you've suffered really badly in the restaurant business, haven't you? Uh, not the greatest, Chris, let's put it that way. It's, um, yeah, I mean, the hospitality industry, it's no, there's no no words for it, really. It's been decimated. And, and uh, uh, listen, everybody's been hit hard on all different uh, areas of the whole UK, but um, certainly hospitality has taken a, a fair bootful, put it that way. James, did we meet on the BBC Saturday morning uh, cookery programme? I think we did. I think we did. Well, I, well, I've been. You've been doing TV a little bit longer than me. I think um, <laughs> fifty-five. I've got fifty-five. Yeah, I'm twenty-eight years in, but I think it was yeah, certainly Saturday morning show that we did, and and uh, well, twice actually. And when I when I decided to leave that show and and disappear off into the into the bigger wide world and not knowing what I was going to do, and then I got another show, and then he kind of did that one as well. So. It's it's um, it's quite surreal. This one, it's slightly different because it's not in a studio, as you know. It's at my house, so um, we're having to sort of metal detect people on the way in and make sure they haven't nicked anything on the way out. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the weird thing is, whereas whereas at the Beeb, it was quite quite easy to get rid of people. Now it's quite difficult. Um, I'm sure. So I'm sat in I'm sat in what's classed as the green room sort of thing, and that's where. Uh, you know, people kind of have lock-ins, really. Um, we ended up kicking Boyzone out about 2 a.m. Um, yeah, so we've we kicked many people out at a.m. Uh, and they've been here drinking and, and stuff like that. But it's it's good fun. It's good fun. Does anybody have the luxury of staying the night with you? Not with you, uh, well, you not and your anymore. lady. <laughs> yeah, not, no? not anymore, really. But, uh, 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 yeah, before lockdown, there was quite a few chefs because the chefs travel all over the place. And I'm quite fortunate in this game that you kind of get, you know... <laughs> It's, you kind of get, the, not the pick of the crop, but your mates are geniuses in their field in terms of uh, food and, and they want to come on your show. And because of that, the net's quite large in terms of where you throw the net to get these chefs. Uh, we had recently uh, Mark from Moore Hall, uh, one of the greatest young talents in in the world, to be honest with you. He's two-star Michelin chef now, uh, a young kid. And, uh, you know, he came on the show and... and uh, He's got, he's got to drive four hours, four and a half hours to get down here and four and a half hours to get back. So I think when there's an element back to normal, then we'll go back to a couple of chefs staying over and, and we'll have a beer after the show or before the show. But there's local pubs around here that we kind of chill out at, um, even with a landlord that we use for some of the cooks as well on the show. So it's a very different sort of feel to it. Uh, and I think it kind of works because it is different. Uh, it works really well. I love watching it, certainly. And I, I long for the day that the telephone goes and you invite me down to be a guest on the Saturday morning. Mr. Biggins, you're, all the, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. <laughs> it, it, we just re, we just restocking the, the wine cellar first. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> 
I, I'm I'm on a rosé cook at the, uh, uh, thing at the moment. Uh, you know, I love rosé. What a rosé drip, it's... or is that a rosé glass? <laughs> 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 I think it's a rosé a rosé drip to be honest. Okay, with so you. we'll stock up on a rosé drip and and we'll stock up on a rosé uh, rosé full of in, in the wine cellar as well. But yeah, you're more than welcome. It's it's quite a chill out thing. I'm I'm sat in the green room now and it's kind of like this this sort of chill out room where I play the guitar a bit and there's a pool table here and people chill out and it's yeah, and have a wander around the garages while they're here. I love your barbecue area too. Yeah, that's quite nice. That that's a bit that I sort of it was always open plan that and it was um and obviously we filmed throughout the year and I wanted to sort of cover it over and it's not it's covered over with a tin roof really. It's like a it's a homage for my me, me being a pig farmer when I was a young kid. So it's got this sort of corrugated iron tin roof that I think looks cool, but the sound man wasn't too impressed in when it pissed down with rain for the first time. And it sounded like uh, bullets and, and shooting going on behind the behind the shed. But yeah, it, it's kind of chilled out and it's got a, it's got a barbecue sort of a, a fire pit area. And yeah, it's another place you can chill out, whether it's in the winter or in, in the summer. But a lot of people don't know that it's filmed in my house. And a lot of people don't realise the studio is actually in my garage. So when we kick out the, the cameras the cars get wheeled back in again. So it's actually oh. currently a garage at the moment. And then when we film in it, we push the cars out and then we put the cameras in and then we film in it. So it's actually in my garage. Is the kitchen then part of the garage? It, the kitchen is in my garage, yeah. It's that, that black cooker, that, that, that's actually one of the bays in my garage. You can't move that black cooker because it's a big, heavy French thing. Yeah. And, but the, the actual bit behind the cameras or in front of the cooker, that's, yeah, that... that that houses cars, sadly. <laughs> What's your own kitchen like? Uh, the old kitchen is very different. It's um, not oldie-worldie, but it's... Uh, domestic. Yeah, domestic kitchen's got the same cookers, uh, the wall cookers and, and the, the fridges and all that kind of stuff, but it's got an old rotisserie on the on the thing and it's it's a um, little homage to the late, great Keith Floyd as well because uh, when he sadly passed away, um, I got offered various things. First of all, I got offered his cooker, which I didn't t- take. I think I think Jamie Oliver bought his cooker. I think, or Gordon has got his cooker. One of those two have got his cooker. And then I, I managed to get hold of his car. I've got his Citroen Two CV and and a few other bits and pieces that he had. So I've put a few bits and pieces on the wall, including a rotisserie, which sits in my my own kitchen at home. I knew about the Two CV because, of course, I've seen it. And you'll never guess, but I had uh, I my father used to sell cars, and so in the first year when I f- passed my driving test, I got through eighteen cars because a I would smash them up, or b I would turn up at the garage and say, "Oh, I like that one, Dad," so I would change it to the other one. The insurance company said, "If you're going to change your cars at this alarming rate, Mister Biggins, we're going to charge you five pounds for every time you change your car," which they did. But my favourite car was the 2CV. I had an orange and white 2CV, which I adored. And in fact, uh, I got interested in that by Jeremy Irons, the actor, who we were at drama school together, and he had one. And uh, I I was best man at his wedding. He married a fellow student. And I went on their honeymoon in the 2CV. And we went down to France, to Spain. And uh, we had the roof back and I sat in the back like this. When I got to Spain, I couldn't move. I was burnt to a cinder. Absolutely burnt. And they spent the whole of their honeymoon <laughs> looking after me, giving me, you know, d- dousing me in oils and things. You'll be surprised to hear that the marriage only lasted a year. <laughs> no, 
No, they are cool cars. People that they are, they are so com they are so comfortable as well. All the they, they, those classic the Citroen DSs and all that sort of stuff. They they're quite cool cars, but. Yeah, mine still smells like odd bins uh, inside. It's, it's typical Keith Floyd thing. But yeah. Talk, talking of smell, I used to live above the Phoenix Theatre in Charing Cross Road, and there was a road behind which I used to park the car in. And because it was a Citroen Two CV, and you'll know this, I never locked it because it seemed pointless. Because it's like a tin can, and you don't you don't lock things like that. So I used to leave it open. And one morning I was late for rehearsals, and I was rushing into the car. I got in the car, I, I started, that, and suddenly I thought. What is that smell? It smelled like a lavatory. And suddenly from behind came a tramp. He slept in it all night. <laughs> there was this, this tramp. And I, I, I screamed, he screamed and left. And I, oh, the smell to get out of that. I mean, talk, I'd rather have had odd bins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are really cool. And now, they, uh, now they're really sought after as well. That's the great thing. But, um, but yeah, you can't. Oh, they are. You they can't are. beat Keith Lloyd's two CV. It's got the dents in it. It's got everything else. And even even down to a even down on the key ring, he's not got any normal key ring. He's got a cork. <laughs> Brilliant! I love it. I love it. Right now, in this podcast, I've asked you to prepare three things. Uh, do you have them ready for me? I have them. Don't tell me. Just give me three clues. The first clue is um, school days. Right. Second clue. Teacher. Is it uh, that you, you didn't get the stick, did you, from the teacher? You didn't get a... It's not a, a, a thing where they, they beat you. Well, it's not a cane. No, it's not... I, I haven't actually gone on eBay and bought the stick that I got beaten with. No. It was Yorkshire. I think it was just a clothes, clothes or something like that. So something from school. Um, and lastly, your third clue? Third clue. Um... Red ink. Red ink. It's not a, uh, it's not your, um, uh, you know, the end of the uh, uh, schooling. They give you a, uh, a resume on your career, what you think you're going to do. Nothing like that, is it? You're close. You're close. You're close. Right. So is it, uh, what's, I've forgotten the word now. What is the word I'm looking at? Anyway, what is it? Tell me what it is. I'm so interested. What is it? It is my school home economics. <laughs> Books from when I was at school. So it's got in here Home Economics Notes, Option 2, uh, 5.1, whatever that was, Book 1. My teacher was a woman called Mrs. Baxter. Uh, and uh, she used quite a lot of red ink, did Mrs. Baxter. And, and I was dyslexic as a kid, and I didn't realise I was dyslexic as a kid. So, so I've got red ink all over the place, spelling mistakes all over the place. Uh, there is just C me, D minus. Um, <laughs> Yeah. In fact, there's more red ink than there is my writing in this book. Um, but yeah, she she was the one that turned around to me and said, "You will never ever be a chef." Oh, brilliant! So there you go. Have you met her in recent years since you were at school? Did you ever meet her when you were, were a chef? Oh, Chris, have I met her? Oh, yes, Chris, have I met her? Yeah. Most people would walk over the other side of the road when they saw somebody they don't really like. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm like a bloody stalker. But no, no, so, <laughs> no, it's quite it's quite interesting that that I used to play. I, I used to go to school with a with a, a guy who, who who played golf as well, and uh, his teacher, his PE teacher, said. You want to play a proper sport, not that messing around playing golf. And now he plays on the PGA circuit. I think he turns over about ten million quid a year. Um, he's done all right for himself, but uh, yeah, it's got my old my old school. Uh, yeah, and even down to the t when I used to be. I was ten years old when I did that, and I was drawing knives and stuff like that. But 
How old were you then? Uh, I was probably the age between 11 and 16, really. I was the first ones to do the GCSE. So we were in that O-level GCSE cross. Um, and I failed all my exams at school. I actually failed cookery at school. Um, I got a F, um, uh, which which is rhyming slang for something else, which she used to call me quite a lot when she went home. Uh, but uh, I, nearly, but I, I, I had no really, because I was dyslexic, I couldn't really do it. I could do it. I, I, I could do it practically wise, but academically, I was hopeless. So, from the age of eight years old, I was working in Michelin star restaurants, two star Michelin restaurants in France when I was eight. I remember when I first. When you were eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was at the hotel, hotel de plaisance in 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 uh, Saint Emilion. I was working in the kitchens when I was eight years old. Uh, it was a two star then, uh, and then I went back there at twelve, and it was a one star then. Did you have parents? Uh, yeah, they were the ones that sent me there. My my dad used to import the wine. <laughs> oh, they were. Yeah, yeah, and and I was working with the likes of. I worked with Brian Turner on a gourmet dinner at, uh, at a place called the Malian Spout in Gothland when I was eleven. Not, I always wanted to be a chef. I had my own business when I was twelve, doing weddings and and sort of funerals and and all that kind of stuff to earn a bit of pocket money. And my dad always taught me the profit and loss that you buy something for this and you sell it for this and that bit in the middle you need to pay this, this, and this, and then you end up with a little bit left over. That's for you. Uh, and that's what I learnt when I was a young kid. So, but I could, I could. Uh, because of that, I, I was not I was not very good at you know I mean you know I remember in this book I was looking at it just an hour ago before I started chatting to you and it's got the g- genetic compound compound of a wheat, wheat grain. Well, technically, I don't give a shit to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I drew it all. It looked amazing. She put red ink all over it, but it's um, I could do it practically wise, and that's why when we were about eleven, I think it was eleven when I nearly got expelled, and it brings me back to that cane thing when. Uh, the cookery teacher, there was only two lads in the cookery teacher. There, there was 38 girls and two two guys, and we're only 11. And the cookery teacher said, bring whatever you want to come into school for the following week, and you can cook whatever you want, you know, as in, impress me. So I then had my own thing. Everybody else was bringing in cupcakes and bloody Swiss rolls and making all that kind of stuff and angel delight and all that bloody stuff. And I, and I genuinely brought in and cooked it and flambéed, I was doing flambéed chicken livers with Morge 2 and Roquette, and I was 11. <laughs> and, and I and I flambéed the chicken livers and, brought, of course, brought alcohol into school. With that, oh, I was told to see the head martyr, got a right bollocking. Um, it tasted amazing. <laughs> when was the first time you realised that you had really arrived, food-wise? Um, when, I, when I became head chef of a... There's a place called the Hotel de Van. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's a hotel chain. Oh, I've been, I've been there. Yeah, well, I, I set up the very... So there was myself, Robin and Robin Hudson and Gerard Basset. Gerard Basset was the wine guy. Robin Hudson was the, the hotel guy. And I was the chef in the kitchen, 21 years old. And we set up the Hotel de Van, the very first one in Winchester. I knew I was doing something right when the day one we opened the restaurant, we were full. Really? And we were full three months three months down the line. You know, you know, you could. There's, there's all the kudos of opening a new place, which you fill it on day one, day two, day three. But filling it on a wet Monday on, on a, in February is another thing. And we filled it, and it was just fantastic. Yeah, it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And because of that, it became the talk of talk of the town. And that's where TV suddenly came about. And Keith Floyd came to visit because he wanted a location, and I met those sort of people, and that's how that started. But there was not, there was no dreams to be going into television. It was just that's how it all started, and that's how I ended up doing what I do now, I suppose. 
Um, but yeah, and we've all gone off to do different things, you know, that's the thing. Robin's got the pig and very successful with the pig and Limewood and Gerard up in Terravina and sadly passed away about a couple of years ago. But uh, you know, they were all at the top of their field, you know, and I was just a young kid on the block. You've done so much and you, you really are now at the top of your field, uh, if you don't mind me saying so. And it's fantastic. Do you have now... Having been so successful and being so successful, have any ambitions in food? I always have an ambition, Chris. There's still things that I would love to do. You know, I set about the journey when I was a young kid, put an apron on at eight years old and, and had a dream. Uh, and that dream is is still alive. It's, it's still alive every time I walk into a kitchen. It's not, it's, I don't really have any any want or need for anything. That's the crazy thing now. I, you know, you, you kind of, you're more content than I ever was. Um before you're striving to put a roof over your head if that you know that that was the goal and and when you achieve that and and then you go on and 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 you get there's one thing that comes out of this you you've got the ability to look after the people that are closest to you so your family you know that kind of stuff that's that's the thing that this brings now and the enjoyment of that um, that you can look after the people closest to you and that's the important thing for me. Well, that's fascinating. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, go to another of your items. Uh, so this is your second item. What, what, can you give me some clues about this? Uh, yeah. Um, hard work paid off. Uh, is this uh, anything to do with buying a car? Uh, no. Nope. Right. Second clue, please. Accolade. Is it an award? Yes. And presumably it's... You're not an MBE, are you, or an OBE? No, I'm not. No, I w- no, I'm not into that. No, no, no none of that. Uh, so, is it a cookery award? It is. Yes. Is it? Is it a Michelin star award? I, I wish it was, Chris, but it's not. Uh, to me, it's more. It's more valuable than that. Right. Um, because if I give you another cure, your peers. Right. So it's been awarded to you by a chef or chefs that you admire. So it, there's there's only about twenty five of these in the world. Um, and what is it? But there's a there's a, a quite a, a big uh, guild out there called the Craft Guilds of Chefs, uh, which is uh, quite a serious guild. Yeah, it's it's a it's a club uh, that you have to achieve to get into. It's not a, you can't buy yourself into it. And they do a, an awards uh, dinner uh, every year, every couple of years, and. Um, looking around the room and it's an awards dinner with 2000 people in the in the dinner at the Dorchester and all around the room is is about 21 20 22 big pictures of big profile name chefs um big serious serious uh, chefs chefs you know what i mean um Raymond Blanc uh, Pierre Kaufman those kind of chefs we're not talking about tv chefs we're talking about chefs chefs all the way around here um and uh, the, the 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 club this 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 collection of chefs uh, nominate every year a special award um, and the special award goes to one of those chefs and you become one of that plaques in that room if that makes sense and and this is it this is the this is the special award so this is this this well, is well i must say that that is fantastic yeah this is the one um and it's it's got a dent in it when i threw it through it at brian turner to be honest with you because it was him that it was him that bloody <laughs> set me up he, he told me to go to this awards dinner thinking that he wanted me to present an award uh to a chef so i went yeah fine i sat through the whole black tie awards and i was sat with my friend of mine which is pierre kaufman and we sat at this table and Brian was comparing the awards. Anyway, he walked on stage and I said, well, I need to get, tell me which award I've got to do. He said, you're, you're, you're handing over the last one. 
And Brian started to spiel off this thing about career and stuff like that. And sort of about five minutes into it, the penny suddenly dropped and it was me that he was talking about. And the buggers have been setting me up. <laughs> but um, yeah, this is this is the one. It's uh, it's pretty special to me, this. Because you know, t- TV awards are one thing, but uh, to be nominated an award by your peers in terms of what you do um, for the restaurant business and hotel business, hospitality and, and television is combined but this is this is the one well that's wonderful that's much better than the Michelin star uh Brian Turner I absolutely agree with you I love Brian I did his program where he took me to my hometown in Salisbury we cooked in the the grounds of Salisbury Cathedral and he is such a wonderful man isn't he I know he's a great friend of yours and uh he was great he he comes here a lot really he he was here last week where we were filming the Saturday show for the last last bit in the series so he was here as well but yeah, great friend. Um, one thing, don't play golf with him, though. He cheats like buggery. <laughs> <laughs> well, but he's a good guy. He's, he's really an interesting... He's a, he's a good musician as well. I don't know whether you know this. No. He, he was in a... He's in a it's quite a ser- Yeah, he was in a brass band. And, um, yeah, he's quite a serious musician. So next time you speak to him, he's... He, yeah, no. He's, yeah, yeah, seriously. Oh, that's funny. I love that. I love that. What instrument do you play, James? I, I'm a guitar man. Yeah, I've got. Are you really? Yeah, there's there's a there's, there's a few here. There, I don't know if you can see. There's oh yes, over there. you're a child of the '60s, really, aren't you? Uh, well, I'm. A, yeah, I wish I was, but it's. Uh, you get to my age, you either you either don a pair of lycra and, and cycle, don't you, or um, or you pick up a guitar and think you're a rock star. So I thought, um, I thought I'll give this a go. But it's uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I'm in a band, and we've got a few gigs this lined up this year. So we. Our first gig was Carfest two years ago. That was 32,500 people. My God. Um, never played in front of an audience before. We rehearsed in this room here. And then we all sort of put the stuff in the back of a car. And, and next minute we were on after Jules Holland and before the cars. <laughs> so um, there's no end to your talent, James. Well, I don't know about that. Don't know about that. You don't know whether I'm any good at it, but it's good fun. It's good fun. You'll be acting next. Have you any ambitions to be an actor? No, I'm crap at that. No, no, leaving that to you. No, I, I, <laughs> I, do you know what, Chris? I, I, I did, I did acting when I was a young kid. Uh, we had a nativity play, and um, and we had to get dressed up as I was one of the three kings, and I was so shit at it. Uh, I got demoted to put on lighting, which was one switch. Uh, so, so I, I, honestly, I don't know. How you guys do it, I'm absolutely petrified about doing stuff like that. And I've got a tour next year. We, we, we've we got uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, what's the what's the big play, this, the theatre in London, the, the one where... The London Pal- the Palladium, the London Palladium. Palladium, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. where I'm ending. I've got, I've got a night at the Palladium. We've hired the Palladium for one night on the last night of my tour. And I am shitting myself. Um, so we play... And what are you going to do, cook? Yeah, we're doing a cooking and music tour. It's... We did it for the last sort of two years and, and it was really successful and, and gathered momentum. About 200,000 came up to the first one. Same for the second tour. Uh, we did Birmingham, uh, Glasgow Symphony Hall. We did the Armadillo and then Glasgow. All sort of decent sized places. And the guys at Live Nation said, shall we go again? And um, so I said, foolishly, they, they got me uh, after a few drinks and, and that was it. I'm going again. So <laughs> I'm going again next year. So we're just figuring out what we're going to do and how we're going to put it all together and structure it. But it's good fun. I'll be there at the Palladium. I'm going to book my tickets immediately. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I genuinely don't You don't know how you do it. Total respect to you guys to do that. I, I don't know. And particularly what you do. I mean, when you're doing the sort of the, the panto stuff, people think, oh, that's... 
it's just a bundle of laughs. Well, you know, I mean, you're working, lurking like a Trojan. It's unbelievable. Two shows a day, six days a week. I mean, it is a nightmare. I mean, you know, if we didn't love it, we wouldn't do it. I can tell you, it's a, it is a real tough gig, but I love it, which is good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. James, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and I'm going to tell you about my secret. So welcome back. I've got James Martin as my guest and now it's my turn to give you my object. Now, uh, I'll give you some clues. Uh, It's uh, a book. A book? Is it a signed book? No, it's not a signed book, funny enough. It's a book I first learnt to do something which you love on. A cookbook. Absolutely spot on. Now, do you know what sort of cookbook it is? Whose cookbook it is? I could really insult you and go right way back if you want me to. Are you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it a Percy signed Mrs. Beaton? <laughs> And I tell you, this book is very good because you can follow things month by month. Uh, Is it Delia? No. No, it's impossible to answer. I'm going to tell you because I don't want to see you suffer because you're right. It could could be anything. But what it is, it's the Reader's Digest Year Cookery Book. Ah, right. The Book of the Seasons. Do you know it? I've heard of it, yeah. And what it is, it goes month by month. So you go, if you're cooking a dinner party in January, you go to January and it tells you all the things that are in season, you know, the best meat to eat and all that. And I used to follow it regularly. I loved cooking as a a child. And my great auntie Vi, who was a terrible snob, she was the one who insisted I have elocution lessons. And uh, because all my family talked like that, they were all from Wiltshire. So I had elocution lessons. I speak the Queen's English now. But she did teach me how to cook and she did teach me how to lay a table which I you know love the fact that's what she did uh, but I, there were three things I wanted to be as a child I wanted to be uh, an actor uh, a chef or oh I forgot what the third one was uh, actor chef anyway uh, oh that's that, that's I'm having a senior moment now but anyway <laughs> uh, quite a good cook except I was furious when I did celebrity uh, master chef because I got through to the semi-finals and they wanted something that meant something to me so I cooked my great auntie Vi's trifle now they said those stupid judges said that it was too easy <laughs> well where does it say in the rules you can't be right. easy you know, and I made my own custard too. So, oh, I was not very happy. I could do. But where where does it say in rules you can't phone up a friend of yours and and ask for advice? Because yes, look, I could have helped you out there. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was, and the crew absolutely snaffled it up afterwards. They 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 didn't leave. <laughs> they didn't leave anything. It was wonderful. But I've always I've always loved food, because you you can probably tell I've always loved food, and I love restaurants. I remember uh, in the, my early days when I came to London, uh, I was at the RSC, the Royal Shakespeare Company, in Covent Garden, the Aldwych. And there was a restaurant called, uh, called um, an Italian. Um, that'll come to me in a minute. But anyway, an, a restaurant opened called Joe Allen's. Did you ever know Joe Allen's? Yes, I know Joe Allen's, yeah. yeah. Well, Joe Allen's changed my whole life. In fact, it was unbelievable. It was as though something lifted from my body because what happened was I always thought you went to a restaurant when you were hungry I didn't realize you went to restaurants when you to socialize yeah, yeah and of course Joe Allen's was the biggest social restaurant ever precisely yeah, yeah. 
It was just wonderful. So you went there to meet friends and you had good food and wives. You had a great evening and it was wonderful. So I've I've always been a fan of it. But I mean, it's uh, I, I admire so much what you do and what you've done. I mean, it's it's incredible. No, it's a surreal business to be in. It's a, it's a very odd business to be in. And, and most people looking on the outside, you think you must be bloody crazy. But I don't know any difference, Chris. I, I, you know, I, I, yes, TV is one thing, but I, I put my apron on. I go work in my restaurants. And, and the customers are pleasantly surprised. They, they're kind of shocked that you're in the kitchen. I'm going, well, where the bloody hell do you supposed to think I am? And, and I suppose, <laughs> yes, exactly. But I enjoy it, you know. And also, I'm in, you're teaching the younger generation now, the young kids coming through. That You know, we got this wonderful little lad the other day turned around to me at seven, uh, 17 years old. And we just finished service. It was Saturday night and it was about sort of midnight. And he turned around and he said, Chef, can I have a word? And I thought, here we go. He's going to yeah, hand in his notice again. And, and uh, I said, yeah, yeah. He said, can I, can, I, can I work tomorrow? And I went, yeah, if you want to. Yeah, but you're, are you on the road? So he went, no, it's my day off. But can I work in the kitchen? And I went, yeah, sure. What do you mean? He said, well, I work in the restaurant. I want to understand what it's like from you. 17 years old. Brilliant. Brilliant. And I went, yeah, of course you can. In, in you come. And, it, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. And, and to get that enthusiasm, enthusiasm at 17 is, yeah, it's so important. And to nurture that and treasure it and keep it. He's going to be a star. He is going to be a star. I said, <laughs> uh, and we got we got several people like that in the kitchen. You can spot them. Um, you know, I, I remember a kitchen porter used to work for me way back in the Hotel de Van Days. And he wanted to learn how to cook. So I said, here, I'll show, me, I'll show you how to cook this piece of fish. He was a kitchen porter. And, and now he's uh, junior Sue of the French Laundry in the Napa Valley, one of the greatest restaurants in America. Three-star Michelin. In- no, really? Fantastic. When, he was, when he, was, he was 16 years old, he was working with me. And that was, the, that was the moment where he went from washing pots to working in the kitchen and respecting and understanding food. It was, yeah, magical to see. My grandmother and my mother used to work in restaurants in Salisbury. And they had to pay to be a waitress. Because that's how you got... What they wanted was the tips, of course. Tips, So they yeah, used yeah. to pay the maitre d' quite a substantial amount of money. And then they got the tips and everything. Do people still work like that now in kitchens? Do they do things for nothing or do you have to pay them? No, no. <laughs> well, I seem to be doing it. Um, but no, it's... Um, no, we, we, have a, we have a fair scheme. You know, all the tips get shared equally between everybody. I don't do that. It's called a trunk and I don't do that point system. I don't do any of that. Whatever you do, you don't have to tip. It's entirely up to you. Um, I, you know, we have more of an issue with no shows still at the moment, more than anything else. And, um, you know, that's the thing that I've got to look at. And I've got to look, look at that and decide what to do. But, um, no, in terms of that, there's, there's none of that. We've got one more item from you, James. So I want three more clues, please. Ah, uh, well, I was going to do a car, you see. When you said about this, I was going to do a car. But um, I thought, I thought maybe not. I thought I'd do something else that... That is quite. Um, I, I'm a big lover of my childhood. You know the 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 the, the nostalgic things from my childhood. So nostalgia as a kid. That's my first clue. Is it a toy? It is a toy. And is it uh, a wind-up toy? It is a wind-up toy. <laughs> well, I'm feeling rather good now. <laughs> is it a car? A wind-up car. They did a car, but it's not a car. Is it a fire engine? It's not a fire engine. No. Is it something that helps the public? Um, I don't know whether he helped the public. He, he became an icon of when I was growing up. It was it. He was the icon that 
that he used to do things that that public were in awe of. They thought he thought he was bloody stupid, but they were in awe of him. Oh, I know, I know. I've got this now. I've got this now. Noddy. No, it's not. <laughs> It's not Mr. Ben either. No, it's not. This is far cooler than Mr. Ben. Well, Mr. Ben was pretty cool, but this this guy was definitely cooler than Noddy, for God's sake. I give up. I give up. What is it? Right, I'm going to go get it. Here. Probably the most iconic toy of my era. And the great thing about these is that these now have become collector's items, so this is why I have to have it sort of hidden away and hide away. This is Evil Knievel. Oh! Evil Knievel! Evil Knievel. This is the greatest map, the Evil Knievel. So this used to sit on here. I met... This, you, don't, you don't tell me you met him, did you? Yes, I did meet him. I was just, just what I was going to say. I met e- Evil Knievel. He was so nice. He was a lovely, lovely man. Well, that's, that's Evil Knievel. So you wind this thing up. As a kid, I used to wind this up. And at the top of top of the stairs on the farm, and I used to line my sisters, my little ponies, and Barbie dolls, and I used to smash into them with this. <laughs> and then when I couldn't smash into them with this, I then used to take this, which used to properly smash into them, which is the evil Knievel dragster. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is this is proper iconic. But yeah, this is the. No, I love it. Of, I love it. He's had a bit of worse for wear, I think. This this one in here, but. Yeah, this became um, my yeah my childhood. Evil Knievel and uh, the Evil Knievel motorbike. I mean, this the mad thing about these these are about two thousand quid now. They're unbelievable. Really? And the box? Yeah. If you got the box, I've got the box and everything else. They're they're crazy when you look at it online. But but yeah, I was gonna do I was gonna do that. I was gonna do a BMX, which I've got. I've still got my old BMX from when I was a kid. But Evil Knievel, legend. Definite legend. And is this what led you on to Fast and Furious Cars? Well, that, yeah, that kind of stuff. I, 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 I don't know where the collecting came of it, really, the hoarding side of it. My sister was always into that. I used to save up and buy one item. Uh, you know when you get your pocket money and you save up? And I was working as a pot washer in, at Castle Howard when I was a young kid. And when I was washing pots, you used to get, like, two quid. I used to save up until I got a tenner and buy something nice. My sister used to buy a load of crap for two quid and then moan about it, that it all dropped to bits. <laughs> so I always used to buy nice nice stuff, if that makes sense. I used to save up. So I remember buying one of these, and um, probably it was this, this, I think the motorbike. I remember buying that when I was a young kid, saving up. But I bought my first car when I was uh, nine, nine. Um, I bought, a, I bought a, a, a Mini and I painted flames on the side of it. Um, and I bought it. I bought it for t- <laughs> nine years old. Nine years old. I bought it for twenty-five pound on the Exchange and Mart. Remember the old Exchange and Mart? Now it's all YouTube, yes, and all, all this yes. eBay stuff. You used to have to sit and read yeah. stuff and actually pick up the phone and speak to people. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, but I had a, the, the Exchange and Mart, and you used to ring all the cars that you liked. And then when you pass your driving test, you sort of crossed it out because you couldn't afford the insurance on it. But I, I remember finding a. It, it was. My dad went to pick up a uh, a boar that he bought on on the exchange in Mart. We were pig farmers, and he bought a boar um, to sort of uh, for for the farm on the exchange in Mart for forty quid. And while he was at the farm, he, he, he I was there, and he there was this car that was sort of wrecked, this mini, uh, and he asked him how much he wanted for the mini, and it was twenty five. I think it was twenty five quid, and I bought the mini. 
um, and I brought it back into the it was back into the into the the, the trailer with the ball. The ball was sort of wedged in between the the mini and the trailer, um, <laughs> <laughs> which probably left him mentally scarred for the rest of his life, I think. But got back home because it was a bloody long way away. It's about 150 miles. Um, and uh, anyway, I got back home, and 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 sure enough, that was that's how the the car thing started. But it wasn't until I was in London when I was a young kid. I used to peer through the window at um, places like the Jack Barkley showroom and, and, and look through the window and dream one day about having a car like that. It was not a not because the, the, the you want the, the, the it's not the materialistic side of it. I just thought there were stunning things. I thought there were there was pieces of art. To me they're movable pieces of art. I couldn't understand why everybody didn't have the same appreciation of them than I did. People see cars of just cars. And I find it your second biggest item that you'll ever buy in your life, generally, expense-wise, that you just see it as a throwaway item. I just think it's crazy. But Now, your driving test, did you pass first time? I did. I passed after half an hour lesson, yeah. yeah. I, I, no. I, yeah, I had, I, I, you, you fill in a form, don't you? And if you, if you would like to do anything that cancels, a cancel test um, to speed it up. And I, I had my birthday on my 17th. I passed my test two days later. Fantastic. Um, I had a half an hour lesson, did it. and Because I was driving... I used to drive to school, Chris, in a tractor when I was 10, 12. <laughs> I used to drive over the back the back, back fields uh, through the farm and I used to park the tractor. But I was riding motorbikes. I was driving cars when I was a young kid. Not on the road, I might add. Um, occasionally. <laughs> but but when, when, you were, when, you, when you were a young kid, you would, yeah, that's what you did. And I, I remember them tinkering them mechanically-wise and... And that's what got me interested in the bikes and the cars and everything else since then. And um, the collection's grown. I mean, there's, there's, there's three bikes in, in here. Well, I have to say, you would have, my father would have loved you. I mean, he would have, because his life was cars, you know. He started off by uh, repairing them and then he sold them and he was just car mad. James, it's been absolutely fantastic. I knew it would it's be. A pleasure. I love you very much, and I think you, you're brilliant. So we've had what have we had today? We've had uh, your your notebooks. Yes. With showing how what a sh- how stupid you are. And yes, how, exactly. Uh, you have no yes. idea. <laughs> Telling the nation how and, shit and, I was. Yeah, thanks for that. And yeah. Proving uh, how, that if you don't know anything, you could become a chef. <laughs> Do you know what? You you have hit the nail right on the head and, and all chefs will go, that is exactly right. If you shit at everything else, you've still got enough qualifications where you'll be a chef. That's fine. <laughs> and then what did we have? We had the, uh, of course, the toys, which I loved. Yeah. And uh, were fantastic. And then what was your second, first item? What was the first This item? award, the, 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 yeah, this thing. Oh, yeah, how could I forget the award? I mean, are you, you have surpassed Michelin stars. Forget about it. You don't need the fucking <laughs> get them out of you. You've got the award. But do you not keep that in your restaurant? Don't you put it in the restaurant to show people? No, I keep I keep that honestly. This is there's several different. I, I didn't know by the side of my bed. I keep that, and and it sounds quite morbid. Um, but my my old dog was a dog called. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether you've got pets. Have you got you got animals? You got no, pets? I I we're always away, so it'd be too. Uh, yeah, I didn't know. To, to, to me, pets are like family. When I was growing up, you know, I was grew up on a on a farm, so. I remember my first dog and when I was a young kid and, you know, the stuff that you go through when that dog passes away um, and be, people look at it as, oh, it's just a pet. It's not a pet. It's a member of the family. And, and, and those people who haven't got family may be as, as a direct member of the family. So, um, and, and when I, when I, I was about 26, 27, I bought a little dog called Fudge who then 
grew up to be a monumental pain in the ass. <laughs> um, but he was he was my best friend, you know, my bestest, bestest friend. And from the age of three months, uh, he nearly died. I took him to the vet and, and the, doc, the vet turned around and said, that's why I always want, you mentioned what you wanted to do when you were as a career. I always wanted to be a vet, uh, but I wasn't clever enough. And, and that's what fascinates me about vets. But he put the drip in the dog and uh, he said, in the morning, he might not be here, so just hold him. So I fell asleep on the vet's sofa and woke up in the morning. The little little spaniel was about, it was about 12 weeks old, and he licked the side of my face, and, and then we had that bond ever since then, and he was allergic to everything, including bloody grass, so it cost me about £800 <laughs> a month, every month, and the little shit lived till he was 14, 15, um, so, 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 and he would never go upstairs. He would never, ever go upstairs. He used to growl at you, never go upstairs. Uh, when I used to lock the house, I'd never go upstairs. So uh, when he passed away, I had his, uh, had his ashes put in a box and that box is by the side of my bed next to this award uh, because he never went upstairs. So now he's permanently bloody upstairs. And, and, and every, every, every night I, I, I sort of tap, tap the box, but then I get to look at this. So this is, this is pretty special. Fantastic. Wonderful. I love you, James. Good luck for the future and see you very soon. Take care of yourself, boss. Take care. Love you lots. And, and we'll, the, the rosé, I will order it now. All right. Perfect. I, I like it really chilled. <laughs> You'll get it how it's bloody given, for Christ's sake. You'll just get it out. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Show and Tell podcast. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Show and Tell with Christopher Biggins on the podcast provider of your choice. And if you'd be so kind as to tell your friends about this podcast, I'd be ever so grateful. You can also follow us on social media. We're at Biggins Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.